you're listening to the Heidi Ruscio podcast or watching it on YouTube, it's a place where you'll hear compelling stories from female leaders, creators, and innovators. And today's guest, well, she covers all of those bases and more. She's pretty legendary. Monica Pearson is my guest today. She was the first woman and African-American to anchor the nightly news in Atlanta. She anchored at WSB for 37 years. She's won over 33 Emmy Awards. She ended up retiring in 2012, but that did not stop her at all. She went on to get her master's degree at the University of Georgia in broadcast journalism. And then she also still hosts a Sunday show on KISS 104.1 FM. She's one of the three hosts for the Georgia public broadcasting show, A Seat at the Table. And we talk about that a little bit on the interview. She's also been inducted to more Hall of Fame than I have ever heard of anyone being inducted to the National Association of Black Journalists Hall of Fame, the Georgia Broadcasters Hall of Fame, Georgia Music Hall of Fame, and like several more that I could keep on listing. She's not only has she accomplished so much in her career, but she gives back not only on a big scale, uh, she's on the board of directors of Meals and Wheels, but also if you have met anyone that knows Monica, then they more than likely will have a story of how she's given to them in some shape or form. She also has encountered a lot of challenges in her life. Uh, She is a breast cancer and a liver cancer survivor. And we talk a little bit about that and how she developed this resilience. One of the things that we didn't get to in the interview was I didn't get a chance to really tell Monica that she actually really inspired me. I grew up watching her on the the news and going into college, that's what I wanted to do was to uh, be a reporter and to go into news. And she was one of my inspirations for doing that. Um, My path changed a little bit and I ended up getting into radio instead, which I still love. Um, But she is just an incredible person. And I know for a fact, you're going to be inspired by her story as well. In fact, so much so that we're having to divide the interview up into two weeks um, because there was so much to unpack in this interview. And so you're going to hear part of the interview today, and then we'll release a second one next week. So let's talk to Monica. Monica, you live your life so well. You've done so much and you've given to so many people. What gave you that courage and that bravery to pursue all that you've done? Was it the way that you grew up? Was it something instilled at you at a young age? Or do you think that it was just something inside of you that you always had? I think most of my success comes from... um Two people, my mother and my father. Even though they divorced when I was very young, my mother uh, and her sayings I call Hattieisms <laughs> always would say things like, it's what you do with what you have that makes you what you are, and that each of us is born with certain talents and skills. Mm. The problem is we have to identify them and then we have to grow them. And if you're blessed enough to have someone in your life who recognizes what your skills are and what your talents are, and they help you develop them, then, of course, you become a success. But if no one recognizes them, then what happens? Mm. You hope you find them on your own. In my case, I was very blessed who I had a mother 
who knew I was basically an entertainer from a very early age. Really? It's so funny. She used to tell the story that when I was born a month early, she said I was always in a hurry, (laughs) (laughs) that when I came out of the womb and they hit me, there was this deep guttural cry. And she thought there was something wrong with her baby because the voice was so low. And the doctor said, oh, don't worry. She'll be a contralto singer. (laughs) And from that moment, mother said she knew that Mm. that was going to be my life something where I would be working with people constantly. Mm-hmm. And she was right. You know, when I was little, she had me in Jewel McNear's Dancing Doll. I'm from that generation of black children who you went to dancing school. Mm. You learned to tap. You did ballet. You did all of that. So you learned to perform at an early age. Yeah. And my mother was Catholic but had been raised Baptist. So I was Catholic but also what they call Catholic Coastal in the sense that my mother would send me to vacation Bible school at the Baptist Church. So there I learned a whole different kind of music in addition to what I was hearing at the Catholic Church. But also part of going to that Baptist Church was you had to stand up and you had to recite poems and you had to give speeches. That was required of you back Mm. then. So when I look at my life, I look at the things my mother saw literally from the moment I came from the womb, and then she developed them. Now, I told you that my parents divorced, so my father was not in my life really until I was much older, almost an adult. Mm. And I think that that had a bearing, too, because I always felt like, how could you leave the person you created? So I'm going to show you what a big mistake you made Mm. by being the most successful person I can be. So you'll regret having left me. Mm. (laughs) And I think those two things together help build who I am. Now, I will also say through counseling, I learned that was the wrong way to think. But I will admit that if If he hadn't left, I don't know how successful I would have been Mm. because not only was my mother supporting me, but then I had this thought in my mind, if you can go away and raise another family, I'm going to be more successful than all of your kids. Wow. And what is your relationship with your like with your dad? I mean, like, was that he died? He died several years ago. Now it's been almost 10 years. And we really didn't get to know each other Mm. until I guess I was in my 20s. Yeah. And at that point, it was a case of he was a friend, but he was never a father. Mm. Um, And I will tell you, there was a when he got very, very ill. My half-sister called me. Um, There are two girls and I think three boys, but I don't have a relationship with them because they lived in another city. Sure. And never the twain shall meet. But she called me and said, you know, dad's in the hospital. He's dying. I am the child that looks most like him, that his sister said, my uh, Aunt Corrine, she and I share a birthday, October 20th. And she said, "He's, he's dying, but he's holding on for some reason. And I said, you know what? I know what it is. I'll call you back later. And I literally went very quietly into a room, said a prayer, and told him, you know, I forgive you. You didn't know how to be a father. You didn't know how Mm -hmm. to be married. He died within the hour. It was like he was waiting for forgiveness. Wow. Yeah. And and he needed that. And I went to the funeral with my aunt and... Mm -hmm. um, with my cousins and, you know, saw his wife and, and my half brothers and sisters. But that's the only relationship we've had since mm. then. Did you feel free when you did that? Or was that something Oh, I had freed myself felt, long okay. ago. Mm. But he, he, needed, to he hear needed to hear that. And that was the way I think he heard it. Wow. 
Do they ever come to you and say, wow, I am so proud and impressed? No, he never said he was proud and he never said he was sorry, but that's okay Mm. because I had reconciled that. Yeah. My mother and I had reconciled that. And I will say that's one nice thing about Hattie. She never said anything against him. She said, Mm. you know, let his actions speak for him. Wow. And I tell that to a lot of, of women that I meet who are, you know, browbeating their former husbands or their former mm. partners or the father of their children. They're doing more harm to the child than what they think, mm. because the reality is the child will find out through their interactions with that other adult whether or not they really are cared for. Yeah. So the best thing you can do is to be a support to that child and never say anything negative against the other person, because then it's a bad reflection on you. Yeah. You entered into a field where there weren't other people that went ahead of you that looked like you. Well, there were a, were few, there a few, but they, okay. but they were not... Um, I can remember when I first did my first television show, it was a show called Hayloft Hoedown. It was a country music show. I used uh-huh. to sing all the time. And so I was, I guess I would have been the the black female Charlie Pride on Hayloft Hoedown. <laughs> <laughs> Randy Atcher actually uh, was the big star of the program. And his... Um, the guy named, who was a comedian later on, Brooks. Oh, why can't I think of his name? But he, Tom Brooks, I think. Okay. His brother was also on the show. Tom Brooks wow. went on to be a very a, a national figure. And then his brother was on the show in Louisville, Kentucky. So uh, that was fun, being the only black person yeah. singing country music on a show. That <laughs> was Hala Hola. And when I tell people that, they always look at me. I say, oh, I know a lot of Patsy Cline. I know old country, not much new country. And then... Um, Um, When I went to the University of Louisville, my degree is actually in English and philosophy, but I dropped out in my sophomore year to get married. And then went back to school years ago, you know, years Mm -hmm. later. Mm -hmm. But I got a job in a bank that was across the street from a newspaper. And that's what actually got me into the business originally in the Mm -hmm. newspaper business. After the riots in 1968, after Dr. King's assassination, Mm -hmm. a lot of the white-owned media turned around and said, we don't have any black folks in here. And the reason that happened is because when they sent white reporters into those riot-torn areas, black people didn't trust them. Right. So they said, we need to do something about this. So in 1968, Columbia University in New York and the Ford Foundation started the summer program for minority groups. And they brought in journalists from all over the country or people who wanted to be journalists and trained them for a summer and then sent them back. Mm -hmm. I started out in newspaper in 1969. I was selected for the program, went back to the Louisville Times as a reporter. Although originally when I left the bank, I had gone to the Louisville Times as a newsroom clerk. So my, my way into the business was actually through newspaper. But I laugh. Because I look back as a teenager, not only was I doing Hayloft Hoedown, Mm -hmm. but I also wrote for the Louisville Defender, which was the black newspaper there. And I was always in contests, you know, beauty contests, doing that kind of thing. So I think, as my mother said from the beginning, I've always been someone who liked to engage people Mm -hmm. and at times entertain people. But when I looked at television back then, it never occurred to me to do television because I didn't see people like me doing it. Yeah. I can remember, you know, turning on the news and 
not seeing people who look like me, but mm-hmm. I saw white women doing it. Yeah. But the interesting thing was those white women who were doing it were either weather girls, not meteorologists. They were called weather girls. <laughs> and then you had uh, people like um, a woman named Phyllis Knight, who worked for WHAS-TV and did a thing called Crusade for Children, which was a fundraiser. Mm-hmm. And she was a talk show host. But again, I didn't see anybody who looked like me doing right. news until I saw Ed Bradley. Mm-hmm on a CBS Evening News. And then it was like, oh. And mm-hmm. then uh, Michelle Clark, who the summer program for minority groups later was renamed for. She was a reporter wow. for CBS and was killed in a plane crash. And it was kind of like, okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. So when I got the job in Louisville working for WHAS, um, I started out as a reporter and then weekend anchor. What I didn't realize at the time and learned out learned many years later that there had never been a black woman anchoring in the city of wow. Louisville at that time. But I didn't know that. So when I got a call from a consultant saying WSB TV in Atlanta was looking at, quote, integrating the set, because at that time there were four white men on the set, they wanted to interview me. Funny story about that. <laughs> the TV station I had applied to uh, to get a job, WAVE in Louisville, told me I would never work in television, that I didn't look right, I didn't dress right, I didn't have the personality, mm. I needed to stick to newspaper. And then after taking a charm course where I learned to do hair and makeup and smile and learn to write for television, I got the job at WHA. Wow. <laughs> Which was a competitor. And our ratings were so good that Wave actually gave a tape of me to their consultant, which was Maggot. Maggot was a consultant for WSB, and they invited me here for an interview. Oh, my goodness. What I learned years later after I got the job, that there were three finalists for the job, Jane Polly, Oprah Winfrey, and me. I always laugh and say, what if I hadn't gotten the job? Where would I be? <laughs> but God puts you where you he would, wants you. Yes. But it's like, golly. And every time I would see Oprah over the years when I would interview her, she would mm-hmm. go, you got my job. And I'm like, uh, I think you're doing I think okay. you're okay. I think yeah. you're okay. <laughs> you made it okay. <laughs> Did fine. <laughs> so when I got into the business, yes. There were not a lot of people like me, but Jocelyn Dorsey was doing the news here Mm -hmm. and had anchored the noon show here. I often ask Jocelyn, you know, why didn't you get that opportunity for the six o'clock news? Because you were here. And she quite honestly said to me, she said, one, they thought I was too militant. She said, and I was surprised. I said, well, you were anchoring the noon show. She said, yeah, but I really spoke up a lot. And she said, then, two, I have to be honest. She said, and I said this to her. I said, you're being very, how shall I say it, uh, humble. But the reality is they couldn't afford to have you, your reputation ruined if you failed on the 6 o'clock news. That would also affect their noon show. Mm. They couldn't put you back. Whereas if you bring in somebody from the outside, if they, they fail, fail, you haven't lost anything. And right. she always said, oh, that's not true. I said, no, I really believe that mm. is the truth. I don't think it had anything to do with militancy. Yeah. I think it had to do with protecting what your best asset. Right, right. Yeah. But it's really funny because uh, when I came here, 
the city was like, ooh, this is quite something different from Louisville. Yeah. I miss Louisville because of the river, the Ohio River, right in the heart of the city. Mm. And then you come here. <laughs> we just have the Chattahoochee. And all you got is the Chattahoochee. <laughs> and the Chattahoochee is not a river that you no, live on. You, no, know? you yes. go play on it. Whereas it is a working river and yeah. homes are along the Ohio River. But when I came here, I was surprised at how segregated the city still was mm. coming from Louisville. Um, mm. We had had, you know, integration. We had had mm. our problems. We had had busing. But the city was pretty much integrated. And here, I can remember looking for an apartment and having a hard time finding one and realizing it was because of the color of my skin. And then mm. when I finally started mentioning that I was going to work for WSB-TV, all of a sudden doors start to open. Wow. It was really a very different time. Uh, they'd roll up the sidewalks literally on weekends. You know, everything was closed on Sundays. There were blue laws back then. You know, you all are very lucky living in this area now because mm. it's so vibrant. It's yes. so international. Back then, it was not like that. Mm. I remember my first foray out of the city of Atlanta. I had a speech in Noonan, Georgia, and my good friend Patrice Fletcher came mm -hmm. to visit. She and I had been reporters together in Louisville, and she had since moved on to Chicago. She's white. And I had had a Porsche that I drove all the time in a little 914. And we were going along the highway to Noonan, and we got pulled over. And I knew I wasn't speeding. Yeah. I mean, because I've been warned, you don't speed in Georgia. And the the state patrol officer really, you know, let me see this. Let me see that. He was not nice at all. Mm. And then it finally hit me, a black and a white woman in a mm. sports car. He's wondering, what What's is going, going on? on? So again, I mentioned Don Elliott healed in WSB-TV, and then all of a sudden, attitudes change. Wow. But that was 1975. That was 1975. Thanks mm. be to God, things have changed. Yeah. Was there any other moment, because it was so segregated, that it, especially with your career, that you felt like, okay, this is this situation is either going to make me or it's going to break me? Well, I never even thought about it breaking me mm. because I knew that if I did not succeed, the doors would not open for other women of color or women, mm. period, because I was the first woman and the first African-American minority to anchor on the 6 o'clock news in the city of Atlanta. There had not been any women, white, black Hispanic, Asian on the air. So I was representing two groups, minorities yeah. and, and also women. So it, there was never any doubt in my mind that I was going to be successful. And I was smart enough to know that your success is not just based on what you do on the air. Your success is based on what you do off the air, mm. in the community. When people know your name and TV stations do research up and down, if your name comes up enough, they're not going to take you off the air because you're contributing. You're contributing to the bottom line. Mm -hmm. So my first thing was to get really involved in the community. Mm. And that was my saving grace. I learned many years later from someone who worked for Cox Corporate who said there was a time when they really did consider taking me off the air. Mm -hmm. But the research saved me. Because of your involvement. Because of my involvement and because of my name recognition. Mm -hmm. They were so sure that, you know... It, they could remove me, but they did the research, and the research said it would be a huge mistake. Wow. And I never knew that until after this woman retired, until after I retired, did she tell me that story. Yeah. That sounds like a lot of pressure. Did you feel I, pressure? Well, no, I didn't feel the pressure for one reason. I made sure I had a life away from television. And see, mm. that's the mistake a lot of people make. They, they wrap themselves in their titles. 
um, I'm Hattie's daughter, and I am more than a journalist. Mm -hmm. I can sing if I have to. I know how to clean houses really well if I have to, because all work is good work, as long as it's honest work, according to my mama. And she told the truth. Hattie isn't. I never, (laughs) I never said my life is tied to this TV station. It can come Mm -hmm. and it can go. Now, no one was in the job before I got there, not female or minority, but there was a man in that job. And someone would be in that job after mm-hmm. I left. So it never defined who I was. And mm-hmm. actually, I think that's what also helped me. Because when people feel like they have you over ba- barrel, when people feel like this is your lifeline, then they can treat you any kind of way. Mm-hmm. I always had the attitude I had a job when I came here, and I'll have a job when I leave here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm a little sassy, but that comes from my mother. Yeah. Because you cannot tie your whole world around one thing, because anything can happen to that one thing. Yes. So you have to be a woman of many talents. Yeah. And you have to be able to set aside your pride. You should never say, oh, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. You do what you have to do to succeed. Yeah. Don't forget to tune in next week to the second half of my chat with Monica Pearson. 